Welcome to the Scale Your Business Better with Tech podcast. I am your host, Jay Farr, Tech Fusion Systems. Our guest is Matt Wampler from ClearCogs. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Jay, thanks for having me. My pleasure. Tell us a little bit about ClearCogs. Look, ClearCogs is pretty simple. We're here to add one to two percentage points to the bottom line of restaurant operators. It's, it's how do we take all of the data you currently have and synthesize it down into answers to questions like, how much chicken do I need to prep today? How much lettuce do I need to order? It's those simple things that, that make a big difference in profitability for restaurants that often don't get answered correctly. Yeah, I had a very short stint in the restaurant business, uh, but I was there long enough to realize that's a major pain point, isn't it? Like just trying to guess, right? Like how much of everything do we have to make? That's tough, right? You know what it is, but somehow it's always beaten technology. So I, I remember running restaurants myself and we'd walk outside on a Friday night and poke our head outside. And is there a line here? Is it nice out? And just make that gut decision because look, all the tools we had were so bad and you were better off just guessing. Yeah. Because you knew your location, you knew your customers better than what your spreadsheet did or whatever people used to use to do that so we always uh boiled it down to did you have, do you have your hand on the pulse of the operation do you do you really know your restaurant that was the nice way of putting it. yeah yeah no it makes sense and so tell us what was the solution that you found obviously it was a a problem a pain point obviously the biggest pain point is ending up with either you don't have enough food to service as many customers as come in or you throw away a whole bunch of food right yeah. So look, I, I came up through the industry. I slung sandwiches for the better part of a decade. That's where I came from. And when we got started, it was solving a direct pain point that I had. It was really simple. We baked bread all day, every day. But at the end of the day, whatever you had left over was basically getting thrown away. And so it was, how do we provide an answer to that simple question? A couple hours prior to close, do I need to bake another cycle of bread or do I have enough? And that simple question, and, and then there's a whole bunch of other things. How do you do it in a, a way that's easy for operators to do that requires them not to input anything? That's one less thing on their schedule. But we put all that together. We were able to synthesize it down to that, that one answer. It's two hours prior to close at this location. You need to have 18 sticks of bread. And when we did that, we were able to cut bread waste by 53%. And we said, okay, I think there's something here. And so that's how we got going on this crazy roller coaster. Yeah, that, that's amazing. It's, I think some of the best solutions come like internally from people like yourself that were down in the, in the trenches, if you might say, of actually experiencing that pain point for so long in the industry. And eventually you have to say, there's got to be a better way. Let me say this. We were in, uh, successful in spite of myself. I give all of the credit to, to my co-founder, Osa. I would have built out this bloated back of house system that had all the bells and whistles that I wanted and not necessarily gone and listened to all the customers. And he pushed us towards that real lean startup path of let's go talk to a bunch of customers. Let's understand what the pain point is. And ultimately found that there's a lot of things out there that software providers think they need to have. Dashboards and analytics and this and that. But really what our customer wanted was just give me the answer. Give me a simple number. And so we actually service all of our restaurants through email reports. They get a morning briefing with all the numbers they need to operate for the day, works on every device. And again, I wouldn't have gone down that path. So I, I give full credit to my co-founder. Yeah, that's funny. I definitely understand that. And yeah, being a tech person myself, 
I, I think it's easy to fall into that trap when you're, you love tech, right? You love all the stuff that it can do, but at the end of the day, you really have to just think about what does the customer want and what's the MVP because it costs money to do a startup. And when you run out of money, the game's over, right? And so you got to get that MVP done and make sure it services what your customers need. And it really doesn't have to do anything more than that to get going. And so I think that's a really smart approach because it's risky enough to do a startup the hard way. <laughs> Why make it harder than it has to be? And so that was a really smart thing to ask, just go out there and talk to potential customers and say, what is it that you would want to see in a product? I think you can learn a lot from that. What I think has turned out to be true. And again, this I give credit to OSA for is when you're building a product, that's different than building a actual software solution, which is different than building a business. And when you start off with complexity stacked on top of complexity, it just gets exponentially harder as you move to each of these stages. I'm amazed even with a simplistic solution like we have that we've really honed down on what are the very few things we need to do and get right, how as you move into building a full-on business out of this, man, going and servicing a couple hundred customers and dealing with all these different little anomalies that come up, that's still a tall order. I can't imagine if we built an overly complex system. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot to be said for that. And really, I think at the end of the day, it's probably better for the end user anyway, because why give them all, all this fancy stuff that they just don't need that doesn't actually help them? We have to think about the practicality of, of what the product actually needs to do. And I think sometimes when you make it overly complex, not only is it complicated, but it dilutes the actual value that you're supposed to be providing because it gets confusing. You get your concentration goes over here to this report and this graph and this dashboard and this thing over here. And really, like you said, all they wanted was like, what's the answer? How much stuff do I have to make? It reminds me of, uh, I think it was a Mark Twain quote. I, I would have written, or I would have used fewer words, but I didn't have the time. I feel like that's what it is with complexity. You either create a complex enough value proposition because you're not solving a big enough pain point or you create a really complex solution because you, you didn't have the time to figure out what the elegant, simple solution is. That is actually beautifully said, I have to say. Yeah, I deal with this a lot. We work with a lot of conversion rate optimization, a lot of copy, a lot of formulating a really great offer. And it's something that most businesses get wrong time and time again. I was talking to a pretty high-end business coach just the other day, and he was talking about an RV place that they sold RVs and they were at like a $50 million a year level and they wanted to grow and they were stuck and he came in. Okay. What's the problem? We want to sell more RVs. And he's like, all right, what do you guys do here? And they were like, we sell RVs. And he's like, oh, God, no, you don't. <laughs> you are selling families a three-day beautiful getaway where they can build memories and connect with each other and spend time and with uh, your friends and family and have wonderful memories. That's what you're selling. The you're, RV is just the thing that gets them there, right? You're, you're selling freedom. You're, you're putting a down payment on unlimited free vacations for as long as they need. Yeah, I, I'm totally with you. Yeah, yeah, it's something the, the co-founder from uh, High Level always says, sell the hole, not the drill. <laughs> yeah, that's well put. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your progression. When did you guys, when did you decide you wanted to build ClearCogs? How did you meet your 
your partner? How did you guys go about it? How long have you been doing it? And where do you see it going? Yeah, that's a loaded question. Yeah. Past, present, and future. So I met my co-founder on his one of his first or second startups as an advisor. It's one of those that I just hit it off with the guy and I advised his startup. And eventually I had this moment when I got into data analytics and programming where I said, if I had any of this when I was running a restaurant, how big of an impact it would make in my life. I thought, I think there's something here. And so he was one of the first calls I made. And this would have been almost two and a half years ago at this point. And it started as just a fun project. Hey, I don't know what an API is. Can you help me get data type thing? And he comes from the startup world. He co-founded a non-for-profit venture capital firm out of Chicago called Fifth Star Funds. He spends a lot of time in this ecosystem. I think he was always looking for a reason why he shouldn't invest his time into this. Is this going to be another failed startup? And I was trying to figure out exactly whether or not this was a business I wanted to dedicate my time to. So we both entered this skeptically. And as we progressed through it, it just kept checking the boxes. Wow, this is a really big need. Wow, there's a lot of money being lost here. And then I think the big breakthrough was we were working with Duke University. We did a partnership with their Master's of Quantitative Management group, and we brought on 18 grad students, and they basically worked with us for four months on this project, a research project. And I had taken this initial thought process that we really need to be able to explain everything we do. And so we did old school regression style analysis. How does weather affect deliveries? How do we put together this algorithm? And on the side, me and a you know developer started playing around with machine learning and it just was a night and day difference. It blew everything that they were working with out of the water. And it, the, the writing was clear on the wall. This is a powerful new technology that has become low enough cost that it can be used for Items like how much le you know, lettuce do I need to prep each day? And so that's really where we started and we built out an MVP. Of course, I went to my cousin who's got some restaurants and we put it in place in his just as the starting place. And of course, ran him out of bread and screwed up a bunch of things early on. Glad it was him. Patrick, thank you very much. Uh, but ultimately, we fixed it all and we were able to cut their bread waste by 53%. And we're like, this works. And so we raised some friends and family money at the beginning of 2022. And Clear Cogs was born. Two guys in a garage just trying to figure this thing out. So it's a great story, man. And it's interesting. I, I like this part you said about you both went into it as skeptics because I think one of the mistakes a lot of starting entrepreneurs make is they fall in love with their own idea, right? And that can be very dangerous because... Your idea is not always a business. Your idea is, even though you love it and it's really interesting, it doesn't, it's not always something that can make a great business. And even if it is something that can make a great business, the timing in the market's not always right either. There's a lot of things that have to come into place for it all to work out, like you have said a couple of times already. And so that's interesting. I don't know if you should necessarily be a skeptic, but I think you should be somewhat skeptical going into it with the, I guess, the acceptance that this may not work but it might let's find out let's do the research let's prove the concept let's put the checks in the boxes before we are so far uh, tunnel visioned into this that we we run into a we run into a lot of trouble 
Jay, what would your advice be about that for entrepreneurs that they have this idea? It's a great idea and they're going to build this company out of it. What do you think the right mindset is? Find people that can poke holes in your idea. So literally we go talk with anybody, random guy on the street, family member, poke holes in our model. Every venture capital firm, every investor we've talked to, tell us everything we're doing wrong. Because you slowly just start to see patterns, trends, things that add. Os and I talk every day, and I'd say at least once a week or once a month, we are revisiting, hey, are we really doing this? Or is this just the story we're telling ourselves? Are we convincing ourselves of this? Because I think that more than anything else is the path to failure, is staying on something that you believe is right versus constantly getting cut down. Yeah. Yeah. I think beliefs are, they can be a good thing. Also can be a dangerous thing. Yeah. I, well, I like we, that. We created this myth that startup founders just believe to their core in this mission and, and they knew it from day one and therefore they persevered and it, mm -hmm. it makes a good sound clip, but it couldn't be further from the truth. I think that is a lot of times just revisionist history where people go back and they're like, oh, we did X, Y, and Z because we knew it was going to do this really successful thing. When in reality, it's much more of a mindset. And the mindset is, how are we going to overcome problems? We're going towards this path. How do we get there? This would be a controversial saying, but we go interview programmers. One of the questions we ask is, how do you feel about drowning your baby? Because you're going to go work night and day tirely, tirelessly on this algorithm or feature, whatever we ask for. And two months later, we're probably going to drown it and start again, because that's how you actually get to progress, not holding on to something because you deeply believe in it. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think I think it makes a great movie. It makes a great movie to start American startup. They go in the garage with some laptops and six months later, they're billionaires. It's, it's just we not were. reality. <laughs> yeah, it, it made a great TV show. Yeah. And I'm not yeah. saying that, not, that it doesn't work, right? I'm sure there's the Ubers out there and the WeWorks out there and there's all these shiny examples. But for the most part, the, the thing that I have observed in the founders that I've spent a lot of time with is a mindset of overcoming, a mindset of always being curious and always solving and never being concrete in this is the way it is and how it has to be. Yeah, I think you're right. And also, I talk to a lot of scaling experts, people who are experts in scaling businesses through multiple levels. They always talk about the season and you have to change your mindset as you go along, as those seasons change, right? You have the startup season where you are proving your concept and your market fit and all of that stuff. And then now you have to start selling this thing and make sure it's actually profitable, right? And then there's your growth stages and you have to change as you go. Your model has to change. Your mindset has to change. Your problems are going to change, right? Yes and no. So I, it, it's funny. I totally get that and agree with that. But Osa always likes to say, once you have the idea guy and you actually get to market and you find product market fit, you need to take the idea guy and go lock him in the closet for the next five years while you scale the business up, which take it with a grain of salt. I always get a kick out of it because I'm the idea guy. Okay. And one of the things that we discussed and came to is it's not that you need to take the idea guy and remove them. It's you need to focus it onto a new area. So you used to innovate in terms of product 
okay, now it's time to innovate in terms of sales and marketing or in terms of partnerships, right? It's where do you focus that energy more so than hyper-focus? It's almost where, not what. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, that makes sense too. I always find it's it's good to look at it from different angles too. I started from one angle, you shifted the uh, the focus from another vantage point. And so it's, I think it's good to, to do that, to see the object or the problem from multiple different vantage points, because you can see more of the object and I think understand it better. So I totally agree with that. Yeah. That's the venture capitalist. I literally, to this day, we talk with five of them a week and it's Give me your perspective. I, I don't take any one of them to the bank, but the more perspectives of smart people that you can get, things start to add up. Yeah, for sure. You definitely start hearing similar stories and seeing patterns and it can help focus you in the right area for sure. What are you guys working on right now? Like where are you guys at? What's your focus on right now? Is it, is it growth? Is it client acquisition? Is it a little bit more product development? Is it a little bit of everything? Um, are you working on specific location markets or certain niches first or certain verticals or sizes or franchises or independent or? All the above, and it changes every week. So I'm hesitant to give the exact place. In general, like most startups, we're working on fundraising right now. It's a tough environment out there. Just the nature of the beast, even for a company like us that's doubling month over month and signing really reputable brands. And then it's continuing the growth. We've had great success with our current product and the customers we've been able to bring on and the results we've been able to show. But there's a big difference between growing founder-led or single sales rep opportunistic sales and putting together that repeatable go-to-market customer acquisition engine where you know, if somebody wanted to put $10 million into customer acquisition, you can show how it's going to result in $100 million in revenue with $40 million in free cash flow. And I think that's, as you'd say, that's the season we live in now. How do you build a business, right? That's repeatable and sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. And that's tough too, because there are so many variables, right? And what you're doing is a little bit new too. Yeah, that, that actually probably is the hardest thing that we're dealing with right now. We are a new company. We're operating in a fragmented market that's got a lot of noise where people say they do a lot of things when in reality they don't. And we're really defining this category within restaurant management of AI operations. How do we use new technology to not just boost revenues, but to really dial into what are the key decision points within your business and how do you make them correctly each day so that you can drive profitability? Yeah. And what is your answer to, to finding, what is your answer to finding the answer to that question? Is it just more, more testing, refinement? What's your strategy to, to find that, that rhythm and that predictable growth? Yeah, outside of shouting from the rooftops what we're doing and that we can add 2% to the bottom line to a restaurant, and even if it's a great restaurant, eventually you say it enough and the market starts to hear it. We live in a world where the restaurant industry is a trillion-dollar market. The average restaurant has a low single-digit profit margin, maybe 4%. Mm -hmm. For most restaurants, that means there is 16% of unrealized profits out there that they can 
achieve, if they ran a better business, if they did the McDonald's cold analytics behind everything. And that's that core area that we're looking to solve. And look, I was going towards, it's a gigantic market. We root for people that are in our space. We are trying to make this the thing everyone's talking about at the next convention. And rising tide lifts all boats. So there's other companies out there that are doing things somewhat adjacent, whether it be ordering or staffing. But how do you support these other companies? Get the message out there because when one of them wins, we all win. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's an enormous opportunity for, for any. If I owned a restaurant, I would I would be like, I want to schedule a call immediately with you because restaurants are problem aware. They know they have food waste. Like this is not something you have to educate them on as far as they have a problem. So is it just getting them to believe there's such a simple solution that actually works? Is that the tough part? Yeah, it, it's that simple. It's you've lived in a world that is incredibly difficult, right? Running a restaurant is one of the most difficult jobs out there. I would say that it's harder than running a startup. It's incredibly hard. And if somebody walks in and says, for very low cost, I can reduce the amount of times that you're going to run out of product while reducing the number of waste and eliminate something that you have to do every day, you go, yeah, that's BS. And by the way, I've heard BS like that from four other companies. And those four other companies I tried and none of them worked. That's the world that we live in. And we still close the vast majority of people that we talk to when we actually walk through and explain how that works. But uh, yeah, it's a huge market. It's a huge opportunity. And I would say the biggest competitive advantage we have is how simple we've made it to actually implement for restaurants. We grew up in the industry. Let's make something that is easy for them. Yeah, I think you're nailing it there. The user experience needs to be simple. We do a lot of tech work for businesses, right? We do similar things, but in different ways for different industries. And that's a struggle for us too, because I just talked to a guy the other day. He has several large businesses and he's, oh, I've heard this story before. Better conversion rates, more clients. I've heard it all before. And that is tough because I think in any industry, you have people that aren't very good at what they're doing. They're probably trying, they probably have good intentions, but no matter what industry you look at, you have some people that are very highly skilled that deliver real results. And then you have some other people that aren't quite as skilled that are making it tougher for us to dig it over that hurdle, I think. But it's a catch 22, Jay. When you're going and doing market research, right? All of these restaurant technology companies have known this is a pain point for a long time. So they've all shouted from the room, oh yeah, we can do that. It wasn't until technology had fundamentally advanced to the point where you could use machine learning, AI, some of these tools cost efficiently, that it could actually be solved. The catch-22 is a lot of people have said it for a long time because the pain point was so cute, and yet the technology wasn't really there to solve it. So by the time the technology comes along, you're in this world where it's been over-promised for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And every new te technology carries those curves. The hype curve, the hype curves, all the hype. Oh, AI, oh, cloud technologies, all this. It's wonderful. It's amazing. It does everything. It'll solve all your problems, right? Overly hyped. And then people are like, yeah, it's not that great. But then eventually the technology starts to catch up. And so, yeah, that's, uh, there's always that hype curve and the lagging actual usable technology curve. Yeah. I think in the restaurant industry, there was no hype, so there's no awareness. So that's the only thing that we face. We could have used a little more hype. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting.
Yeah, it's it's awesome. I'm I'm really excited you guys are doing this. Obviously, it's one of those things that has been needed for so long. And like you said, now you can actually really deliver a great solution to solve that pain point. That's awesome. I'm rooting for you guys. And, and you guys are looking to raise capital. Have you thought of any other ways to raise capital besides funding? Any other licensing models for clients, things like that? Yeah, it's funny. That question comes up quite a bit. Yes, we're focused on one of them, one of them very in particularly, and that is revenue. At the end of the day, revenue is what matters. We would like to fund our business by making happy customers, not building a company so that we can raise money. And that's my guiding light. I come from this, from the small business world where it's, you go get a loan and you put your, you personally guarantee it. And if it doesn't work out, they take everything. It's finding the happy medium there, but we have managed to get some great investors that have added a lot of value to the company in terms of advice, guidance, customers, introductions. And so I do see a lot of value in having great investors. But the fundamental thing that we're focused on isn't raising money. It's delight our customers. Because when you delight your customers, things tend to work out well. Yeah. So yeah, start with the fundamentals, right? Yeah. So if I can go in and save you $80,000 a year, I'm going to create value for the company, right? We're going to be able to charge money for that. So it's do that over and over again and raise revenues. Yeah, it's amazing. It's funny you said how hard the restaurant business is. And that's another thing I learned very quickly. And I have never been interested in running a restaurant. And I'm always, I have a lot of respect for people out there doing it because it is. it seems awfully hard. So many things you have to do and get right. And yeah, I've not ever had the ambition to get into it. Maybe that'll change. I don't know. But if it does, you're going to be one of my first calls. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I, you're going to want to avoid that. It's unless you have a deep seated passion for running a restaurant, just avoid getting into the restaurant business altogether because you, you got to have some true gut love for the industry and doing it to make it work. But I do want to like hammer in on that. So it's interesting. The reason that running a restaurant is so difficult, there's lots of reasons from the fact that it's quasi-manufacturing and retail all under the same roof that have to deal you know, with customer service face-to-face. -face. Yeah, that's a lot, but it's really about a bunch of small decisions. There's not one thing. It's like being out in the ocean in a, a leaky ship and you could stick your finger in one hole, but there's 45 others. And so most of these restaurants spend most of their time just bailing water out of the, the sinking ship and not being able to plug each one of those holes. And that's the fundamental problem. So uh, that's really where we came in to solve is how do we create something that can answer all of these really small questions systematically every day so that they can get to profitability instead of having, I don't know, 20 single point solutions that all answer individual questions and may have to go deal with all these different technologies. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like I said, you come from the restaurant world, the food services industry, you've done it for so long. And so I think that's probably what makes you guys, one of the things that makes you guys successful is so well, right? Yeah. Not to mention the whole sustainability aspect of it. When you really go look into the numbers, uh, food waste is a greater cause of climate emissions than the airline industry. 
If you were to look at food waste in terms of countries, it would be the U.S., China, and then food waste. So it's a huge issue, not only just from justice and being able to get food to the right people that are hungry, but from a climate issue. And so there's very few actual preventative food waste prevention solutions. There's a lot of redistribution out there, but we, we happen to sit at that nice intersection of restaurant profitability and preventing food waste. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm glad you brought that up. Like I had, it's funny, I'm an engineer. I've been an engineer for a long time, but I've never heard those numbers. And I wouldn't have, I know it's an enormous problem. That's for sure. Food waste is enormous, tons and tons. And I don't think people could imagine how much food gets thrown away. And it's, it's sad to see, right? It actually makes me sad. I don't waste food, even though I, I can afford to, I just don't do it. It doesn't feel right to me. I don't know if that's because I grew up poor or just because I think about other people, but Either way, I don't like it, and but we throw out so much food, and I had no idea it was such a, a climate issue and such a, a planet issue. Are there any subsidies, tax breaks, things like that for you guys at this point? There are not, but it's one of those that when you look at the studies, for every, uh, I think it was, for every dollar invested in prevention of food waste in a restaurant, they save seven dollars so there's a huge economic benefit for restaurants to implement this i came from restaurants i was completely unaware of food waste from an environmental standpoint in restaurants you'd look at things like paper straws as sustainable solutions they cost four times as much i use twice as many of them my customers don't like them but I, if i don't i'm going to get in trouble for not having paper straws and so this is one of those that while I think sustainability oftentimes carries a negative connotation within restaurants, operational efficiency is something everybody can get behind. And the problem with coming up with any solution that is about optimizing or trying to forget exactly what the word is, it's any solution that's basically efficiency. So any efficiency it, it solves problem from the business standpoint and the climate standpoint. And the problem is that those are really hard things to solve. But when you solve them, they solve for everything across both sides of the, the equation. Yeah, basically, it's a win-win. There's no, there's really no downside to it. That's the point. Everybody's winning it. It, it would be nice to see. I'm not a, a huge fan of government, government subsidies and over, being overly taxed. But if we are going to do that... I, I would feel better if some of that money were going your way. I think it's happening right now. We don't need the tax dollars, but the infrastructure is a big deal. So the solution from an environmental standpoint when it comes to food waste is composting solves a lot of this. But if you're in New York City, where are you going to go compost? And we've seen places like California, and I believe Massachusetts, and some of these others outlaw um, throwing away food. Instead, it has to be compost. Where the real opportunity is creating the systems, the uh, utilities, if you will, that can pick up that compost, that can you know get it to the right place. Because I think that's it's a lack of practical solutions for a restaurant to actually solve this, and being able to provide that infrastructure goes a long way. And of course, you're on the front end of that because the first thing is don't throw so much away. That's the first part. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It makes perfect sense. Anything else you want to share or, or talk to us about as far as clear cogs or anything else? No, look, we're always looking for great restaurant partners. If your restaurant needs any help on the profitability standpoint, 
We're a very simple solution. We work with most of the major POS systems. We're one less thing to do. We tap your data every day. We go run our models and we figure out, hey, for you, this is the right number of briskets to put on the smoker tonight so that you have just the right amount of brisket for tomorrow or how many bagels to bake this morning. Answer those questions right. And it's shocking how much money you can save. Yeah, that's a no brainer. And by the way, it's clearcogs.com. And you have a great website. I don't know who designed it, but they did a really good job. And you can book a demo right on here. Really, really yeah. easy, very informative. Not too eighth, much to read. Really yeah, nice. Yeah, after the eighth version of the website, it starts to get better. Yeah, I was just talking with a client. He was annoyed because he thought his copy was so good. And I went through it and I, I tore it apart a little bit nicely. And I said, don't feel bad. It takes me about three revisions. And I've been doing it a long time. And I said about three three revisions at a minimum, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's it, awesome though. It looks great. I, I look at our website and think, man, there's so much that needs to be changed. But websites end up having that uh, habit of becoming Frankensteins of just random things that stack up on top of each other until it just isn't coherent. Uh, this was our latest stripped down. Everything's unified. And uh, yeah, but it needs some serious updating. No, it's beautiful. It's really well done. It's very clear as to what you do, how you do it, who's using your stuff, what the value proposition is beautiful to look at easy on the eyes. I almost want to book a demo just cause I want to. <laughs> <laughs> we, we'd love to give you or any of your listeners a demo. It, it, nothing would bring us greater joy than talking about clear cogs and how we can help. That's awesome. Yeah. Maybe we could do that. Maybe if you wanted to, if you wanted to do that, we could talk about doing that and let people take a sneak peek. That would be a cool idea, but yeah, anyone out there who's got a restaurant, clearcogs.com, get them there, take a look. And I think you'll find out you can save yourself some money and help save the planet at the same time. Matt, Wampler, thank you so much. Thanks for being on the podcast, man. It was awesome. Jay, thanks for having me.